BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Investigators are learning more about what may have caused the pipeline break that led to 125,000 gallons of crude spilling into the Pacific Ocean here in Southern California. Divers in remote operated vehicles inspecting the pipeline off the coast of Huntington Beach found a bend in it. Upon further investigation, we've determined that approximately 4,000 feet of the 17.7 mile pipeline has been displaced and it's been laterally displaced by 105 feet. That's Coast Guard Captain Rebecca Orr. Commercially procured divers were sent down to assess that pipeline. What they further located was a 13 inch split in that pipe on on the side of the pipe that is a, a likely source of release of oil. Here's Martin Wilshire, the CEO of Amplify Energy, which operates the pipeline. I'd like to expand on one part of it. Um, we, she mentioned the 4,000 feet displacement of the pipeline. If you can picture the pipeline essentially vertically, the pipeline has essentially been pulled like a bowstring. And so at its widest point is 105 feet away from where it was. So it is kind of in a almost a semicircle. An initial report from federal investigators has confirmed the pipeline operator waited more than three hours to shut it down after being warned by low pressure alarms that it was likely leaking. The oil spill has renewed a decades-old debate in California over whether to ban offshore drilling. Congressman Mike Levin, a Democrat, represents the area where the spill happened. Before it occurred, Levin had already introduced legislation to halt offshore drilling. We reached the congressman after he had seen the scope of the oil spill from both the shore and a Coast Guard helicopter. My reaction was uh, really being heartbroken because growing up in Orange County, we treasure our beaches, we treasure our Pacific Ocean, and to see the entirety of Orange County's uh, coastline potentially fouled by oil uh, was really quite stunning. And uh, a reminder to me that uh, the only foolproof way to really uh, prevent oil spills from happening is to stop drilling for oil off our Southern California coast. Uh, And that's why I've called for just that. I've called for a ban on all new drilling along Southern California's coastline Uh, We introduced legislation in the House actually prior to this spill, and uh, unfortunately, this spill provided um, yet another reminder of the necessity to do this. And the good news is that we included the language for this ban uh, in the House version of the Build Back Better Act. I actually checked. It's on page 984. I'm happy it's in there, and I'm going to fight like crazy to make sure that when we finally have the House and the Senate 
come to an agreement, send a bill to the president for signature, this Build Back Better Act, that it contains, among all the other important provisions, uh, this prohibition on new offshore drilling. I was in Orange County the other day talking to people around the Huntington area, residents who basically said, we want the oil rigs that are there gone. How possible, I mean, your legislation is about stopping future drilling. How possible is that, that we could close down the rigs that are there in Orange County and off the coast of Ventura and Santa Barbara counties in, in a fairly reasonable timeline, three, five, 10 years? Is that even in the cards? Well, we're digging into those 23 rigs to understand exactly what the useful life is. You know, when you think about this pipeline, for example, it was about 40 years old. And everything I've read and heard about the useful life of, of uh, offshore uh, oil infrastructure is that it has maybe 25 year shelf life. And, you know, after that, you're looking at uh, the potential for some serious problems. We're going to learn a lot more about the age of our offshore drilling infrastructure and we'll make some uh, reasonable, we'll, we'll read some reasonable conclusions on the basis of that age. Meaning the wind is at your back then, right? This should be easy to do. What's the problem? The problem, I would say, is that those fossil fuel executives, they have a lot of political power. Uh, when you look at, for example, the campaign finance system and the way that the oil and gas industry is so uh, uh, injected itself into our politics and, and into campaign finance, that's a whole other series of issues as well. But I would say that the voters and the, and the constituents, the people who are actually showing up at meetings, who are talking to me, they don't want to see any more drilling off our coast. They want to see clean beaches. They want to see clean water. It's not a Republican Democratic issue at all. All right. That is Congressman Mike Levin, who represents South Orange County and North San Diego County. Congressman, thanks so much for joining us on the California Report. Thanks so much for having me. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. In other news, Governor Gavin Newsom was at a Fresno elementary school yesterday to sign historic education bills into law. One will expand free access to early pre-K and fund a college savings account for low-income students. Valley Public Radio's Sarith Hawk reports. At Sunset Elementary in southwest Fresno Tuesday, Governor Newsom announced sweeping investments in early education. As part of his California comeback plan, he says universal transitional kindergarten will soon be a reality. 
Finally, uh, we're in a position to create a brand new grade TK for all. The legislation will help school districts create transitional kindergarten programs starting in 2022. The goal is to make the programs free and available at all schools by 2025. Sacramento Assemblymember Kevin McCarty introduced the measure. 250,000 new kids will get free pre-K for four-year-olds regardless of income. It also creates a college savings account for all kids in California. Current, low-income, homeless, and foster youth are qualified to receive a seeded investment starting at $500 and up to $1,500. Moving forward, qualified students will receive that seeded money by the time they're enrolled in first grade. This has never been done in the United States at this scale. This is exciting. Families are encouraged to contribute to the account, adding investments that kids can later use for college or vocational programs. For the California Report, I'm Sarith Hawk in Fresno. In a split decision, a three-judge panel on the U.S. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has ruled that California's ban on private prisons and detention centers is unconstitutional. KQED's Katie Orr reports. A private prison firm and the Trump administration had sued to stop the 2019 ban from taking effect. They say Assembly Bill 32 was an effort to stop the federal government from detaining undocumented immigrants in facilities within California. Loyola Law School professor Jessica Levinson says the panel took very different views of the law. The two judges in the majority say this is about targeting the federal government's immigration power. And then the judge in the minority says, actually, AB 32 covers all types of detentions. It's not just people who are in this country illegally. Levinson says the next step would likely be a hearing in front of the entire Ninth Circuit Court. For the California Report, I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento. Why did some homes in the northern California town of Paradise survive the 2018 campfire, while so many others didn't? KQED science reporter Danielle Venton tells us simple actions, such as creating defensible space around the homes, might have been a big factor. California updated its building code in 2008 to require homes to be more fire safe. Researchers from the University of California and the U.S. Forest Service wanted to know if those changes made a difference in which homes survived in paradise. It seemed like it might be an opportunity to assess whether there are any key messages, any lessons to be learned. Yana Yalakovic is a forest advisor with the University of California and a co-author of the study. Researchers found that newer homes did have better fire survivability, but the updates of 2008 wasn't the key turning point. Even homes built a decade prior to the code update fared overall about as well. The researchers attribute this to newer roofs and materials, less overhead tree cover, and crucially, more cleared space between the buildings. We're only as strong as our weakest neighbor, and we're really all in this together. So when we tend to see loss, it's usually when a neighboring building is lost to wildfire, and then you get significant radiant heat. Which means burning homes spread destructive fire more than burning trees do. The researchers are hopeful the work will help inform how to best build and live in areas at risk from wildfires. For the California Report, I'm Danielle Venton. The annual shareholders meeting for Tesla is tomorrow, and it comes days after a jury ordered the carmaker to pay $137 million to a black worker who accused the company of ignoring racist abuse. KQED's Holly J. McDeed reports. 
The former employee who worked at Tesla's Fremont plant from 2015 to 2016 said he was called racist names and that employees drew swastikas and left racist graffiti around the plant. You know, it's awfully tempting to say, look, it's not rocket science. It's really caring about your employees and enforcing laws to protect them. Amy Oppenheimer was an expert witness for the plaintiff in this case. I think it might be the largest verdict for a single plaintiff in a racial harassment case ever. In a blog post, Tesla's vice president of human resources wrote that the facts of the case did not justify the verdict. She also noted that when the worker complained, Tesla stepped in, two contractors were fired, and another was suspended. But law professor Tristan Green at the University of San Francisco says the ruling sends a message to Tesla and other companies that following up on individual complaints is not enough. Often we're tempted to narrow our stories about harassment, including racial harassment, to individuals, to the personal. And here the judge and the jury saw that there was something more at stake, the overall environment of work at Tesla. Tesla faces a similar class action case pending in state court in Oakland. For The California Report, I'm Holly J. McDeed. And that is The California Report for this Wednesday, October 6th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk tomorrow. Support for The California Report comes from Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor. PersonalCapital.com. SF MoMA, presenting the world premiere of Joan Mitchell, a stunning retrospective of over 80 works by the trailblazing painter who made art on her own terms. Learn more at sfmoma.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. 
the land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday wherever you get your podcasts.